This episode is more of a memorial commemoration for retired General Colin Powell, who passed away today uh, at the age of 84 on October 18th, 2021. So first, you know, rest in peace, General. He was many things. Um, he was a father, a husband, a warrior, a statesman, an author, a leader of many, and an inspiration, a pioneer to lots as well. Uh, Colin Powell was born in 1937 in Harlem, New York, uh, of Jamaican descent, and he attended ROTC at City College in New York. Upon graduation from City College, he joined the Army in 1958 as a lieutenant. And following that, he served two tours in Vietnam as an infantry officer. Uh, he was wounded twice, you know, one is once uh, in a helicopter crash and, and one from enemy fire. And he was promoted to Brigadier General in 1979. And he retired from the Army in 1993. During that time frame, he held numerous positions on the military side. Um, he was promoted to Major General in 1983, Lieutenant General in 1986, and in 1989 to the rank of General. So, you know, it goes one star, two star, three star, four star, for those that don't know. Um, you know, some of his positions that he held and kind of why it makes him, um, you know, who, who he was, right? He was... Sorry, but yeah, so he, um, you know, after being a, a leader in, in, you know, in Vietnam and then through the 80s, um, in the early 80s, he ended up becoming a senior military assistant to the Secretary of Defense, during which he assisted with the 1983 invasion of Grenada and the 1986 airstrike on Libya. In 86, he took over the V Corps in, in Germany. Um, and he's in the following year he served as United States Deputy National Security Advisor under Frank Carlucci. So you start to see his kind of rise in the political realm of things, not just so much as the, the military leadership sort of things. Uh, and he also helped negotiate some arms treaties with Gorbachev, the leader of the Soviet Union at the time. In 89, after he was on the National Security Council, he was promoted to four-star general under George H.W. Bush. And for a brief period of time, was commander of chief, commander chief of Force Comm, headquartered at uh, Fort McPherson, Georgia, overseeing all the Army, Army Reserve, and National Guard units in the continental U.S., Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. Uh, also, which would be included there would be Guam, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Washington D.C. And interesting enough, he became only the third general since World War II to be a four-star without ever serving as a division commander. But um. In that same year, he was selected to be uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So what that means is you have the Joint Chiefs from all the components, you know, all the leadership from, you know, the Air Force, Marine Corps, these these all other branches, and then there's a chairman who oversees all of them, and he was selected to be the chairman. That would be his last military position, right, because he retired in 1993, but when he was selected as the joint, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, he was first the youngest officer to have done so, and also the first Afro-Caribbean American to serve in that position. So basically, he was the first um, black soldier to serve as the in the as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Over the period of time that he was chairman of the Joint Chiefs, there was a bunch of stuff that happened in in our history, you know. There was the invasion of Panama to get rid of Noriega. 
Uh, you had Desert Storm, the Persian Gulf War. Um, he retired right before uh, kind of our Black Hawk Down scenario in, in Mogadishu in Somalia a couple months before it. So it kind of led right up to that, that point in time. But, you know, going going through his military career, I mean, he was pretty much part of everything. And, um, you know, he, he wrote a, a, a couple of books after his military times so once he retired. But um, my favorite one, and I had... I purchased the audiobook because he narrated it, which was really cool. But um, it was called It Worked For Me. And there was 13 rules that basically he talked about in the book. Each rule he has stories behind, which is why I like listening to his voice explain them. But the 13 rules, you know, I think they really helped me as a young commission or non-commissioned officer um, be a better leader because, you know, as a young non-commissioned officer or a young commission officer, a lot of times, you know, you can let your ego play parts or, you know, um, your pride and things like that. And I think after reading this book, it helped me kind of look at things a little different. So 13 rules. Number one, it ain't as bad as you think. It'll look better in the morning. Um, you know, so he, he goes and explains why he came up with that. Rule number two, get mad and then get over it, right? You know, it's, okay, you know, it's, it's not necessarily okay to get mad, but people are going to get mad. But don't harp on it, you know. Uh, three, avoid having your ego so close to your position that when your position falls, your ego goes with it. Probably the most important thing that he put in a book. Number four, it can be done with an exclamation point. Uh, don't surround yourself with skeptics. And at the same time, don't shut out skeptics and colleagues who give you solid counterviews. Number five, be careful what you choose. Number six, don't let adverse facts stand in the way of a good decision. Seven, you can't make someone else's choices. So don't let someone else make yours. If responsibility is yours, then you make the choices, not because someone else is pressuring you to do so. Eight, check small things. You know, uh, I had a leader who would say, inspect what you expect. And that's, you know, kind of similar. Number nine, share credit. F for sure, if other people are helping you make a decision, then share it across the board. Ten, remain calm and be kind. 11, have a vision. Purpose is the destination of a vision. 12, don't take counsel of your fears or naysayers. Fear is a normal human emotion. 13, perpetual optimism is a force multiplier. Probably the second most important thing that he said in that book would be number 13. Um, you know, so if you get an opportunity to read it, I would read it, but if you have the opportunity to listen to it in his voice, I think it, it has a lot more value to it. So, you know, after um, he was the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and he retired, um, you know, he ultimately came back into the, the political realm. He was the Secretary of State from 2001 to 2005 uh, for George W. Bush. And, um, you know, he was confirmed by Senate unanimously which is big, but he's also kind of con considered moderate. And that's another reason why I think that so many people liked him, because even though he worked in a Republican um, White House, you know, I think that he kind of bridged the gap between the two parties for a long time. And, um, 
you know, there's there's kind of a smudge on his history because he ultimately came under fire for the 2003 invasion of Iraq because he had testified that, you know, they had this stuff and this what the intelligence said and that we needed to garner support across the world to do so. And, um, you know, hopefully that little smudge mark doesn't take away all the great things that he did for this country and, and for the nation um, and for other countries too, you know, I mean, he had, um, uh, you know, what, four years as Secretary of State during a, a pretty tough time. But um, when he retired from Secretary of State in 2005, leading into the Obama uh, election, he actually, you know, gave his support to the Obama administration. And that's kind of where I said where he kind of bridged the gap between the two parties because, you know, it's really easy for some of these political entities to just stick with their party line, stick with their party line, stick with their party line, instead of having the courage to switch sides when they deem necessary. So, you know, he he did that. He he ultimately, um, you know, decided that he wanted to support a different party. And I, I think that's kind of a rare thing to see. But, you know, there were so many firsts. Um, you know, he was the first in the military things I was talking about, but he was also the first, um, what did I say it was, Afro-Jamaican. I'll make sure I use the right word here. To give him his ultimate credit. Let's see. Ah, uh, yes, I found it. So he was also the first Afro-Caribbean American uh, to be the Secretary of State. So he was, you know, the first at that point in time to hold that office. He was the highest Afro-Caribbean American um, up to this point in time to hold such a high position in the United States government. You know, following from that, there was there was more, but he was a pioneer in that aspect, right? He was the first one to do so many things, really paved the way for others. And in one of his, um, you know, confirmation hearings, I think, he, he kind of alluded to that, like, you know, I had this opportunity to do this and, and you know, how awesome of an opportunity that is that I could kind of lead the way and, and uh, you know, pave the way for things. So, so also I kind of talked about his, you know, he was a, considered a mod moderate Republican, Republican, sorry, but, um, it was interesting looking at his political positions on things because really he's, he seemed to like he was an independent, you know, and I think uh, in many cases people that are in his position, uh, you know, so you, you let your mind determine what you follow. You don't have to be like, well, you know, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, so I'm only going to follow what they want me to follow. And when you look at what he, you know, he, he considered himself a Republican, but he supported, you know, liberal or centrist causes. He was pro-choice regarding abortion. And, uh, he was in favor of, you know, reasonable, in quotations, gun control. And um, that, you know, he, he supported affirmative action at, at, at one point. Um, he had He had kind of supported the implementation of the national top policy, although he didn't necessarily agree with it, the policy itself, but, you know, also when it was repealed, 
he uh you know he also said hey circumstances change and then that's why it's gone so you know i think across the board people could learn from him whether it's reading his books or just reading the history upon him uh, i mean super decorated in the military but even as a politician you know there was as people had thoughts and and you know considered that he would have been a great uh presidential candidate in the 90s and and you know even after he was secretary of state ultimately decided not to do that but you know um he was you know a possible running mate for McCain and uh you know the democrats nominated Barack Obama and Paul you know he endorsed Obama instead of becoming McCain's running mate on that side of it. So, you know, I mean, just all around, people should be able to learn from this, this individual. And I think as a country, we're lucky to have a leader, a politician. Uh, well, not necessarily a politician, but in politics, we had this gentleman, you know, a statesman. Um, he was married from 1962 until his death. Um, he has three kids. He he uh, loved to restore old Volvo and Saab cars. And, uh, you know, I mean, just a regular guy doing, doing what's right for the country. So, you know, rest in peace, big guy. And, uh, you know, here's his list of um, civilian awards and... Uh, followed by his military awards. So civilian awards, Academy Achievement Golden Plate Award, uh, the Jefferson Award, Presidential Medal of Freedom, the Spingarn Medal from the NAACP. Oh, the list goes on. Colin Powell's military awards, the list is quite hefty, uh, but I want to read through them. So Defense Distinguished Service Medal with three Oklahoma three Oakleaf Clusters, Army Distinguished Service Medal with Oakleaf Cluster, Navy Distinguished Service Medal, Air Force Distinguished Service Medal, Coast Guard Distinguished Service Medal, Defense Superior Service Medal, Legion of Merit with Oakleaf Cluster, Soldier's Medal, Bronze Star Medal, Purple Heart, Air Medal, Joint Service Commendation Medal, Army Commendation Medal with two Oakleaf Clusters, Presidential Medal of Freedom with Distinction, Presidential Medal of Freedom, Presidential Citizens Medal, Secretary's Distinguished Service Award, National Defense Service Medal with Bronze Service Star, Vietnam Service Medal with Silver Service Star, Army Service Ribbon, Army Overseas Service Ribbon with Award Numeral 4, and Foreign Decorations, Republic of Vietnam Campaign Medal, Republic of Vietnam Gallantry Cross Unit Citation, Order of Statara Plania in the First Order from Bulgaria, Scannenbegs Order from Albania, the Meritary Service Cross from Canada, the Legion d'Honneur, the Grand Cross from France, and the Honorary Knight Commander of the Order of Bath from the United Kingdom.